It's a pleasure and an honor to have so many of you attend and participate in today's teleconference on F1 student and H1B transition issues. This conference, teleconference, is being uh, in, invited with both employers and individuals. So we will discuss issues relating to both the employer or the company point of view and the individual point of view. Obviously, there's a huge benefit in hiring a person who is on an F1 optional practical training with the employment authorization document because there is a lot more flexibility with respect to EADs compared to an H1B, which inherently is limited to one particular employer and is not able to be used with multiple employers. On to, in today's panel, I have the pleasure of having two of the smartest and brightest lawyers on our team. Uh, many of you have had the opportunity to deal with Aaron Finkelstein, the assistant managing attorney here at the Murthy Law Firm. But we also have today Anna Stepanova. And Anna has been a former designated school official or DSO, also commonly referred to as an ISA international student advisor at a prominent Midwestern university. The Murthy Law Firm, of course, hires the best and the brightest from around the world to help our clients. And as many of you know from our earlier teleconferences, we have hired previously former consular officials, and whenever appropriate, we hire the best from the federal government. And in this case, to discuss student-related issues, we have Anna, who was an international student advisor and can share with you some insights that will not be available in the law, in the regulations, or in textbooks. Uh, we obviously process a lot of H-1B petitions at the Murthy Law Firm, so it would be a real pleasure and an honor if we could process H-1B petitions, guide you through this complex process as the rules keep changing, and guide you because a lot of the F-1 rules are guided by the April 2008 uh, USCIS slash Department, uh, Department of Homeland Security DHS regulations. Um, many students on F-1 status, either before their graduation on, or while on OPT, may obtain employment offers from prospective employers, and sometimes the timing of the petition makes it very difficult for them to transition easily into H-1B status without leaving the U.S. Because the current rules and procedures are somewhat complex, many students and their employers sometimes miss important deadlines fail to follow correct procedures, and this often results in loss of status and loss of resources and workforce for the employers. I did forget to mention one more important thing. I am Sheila Murthy, founder and president of the Murthy Law Firm. So all three of us are here on in today's panel. Uh, this topic, again, relates to the H-1B, uh, since we're doing a transition from F to H, and it's connected with the H-1B cap, as you know where there's 65,000 in the general quota plus 20,000 slots for H-1s in the master's quota. And everybody is subject to the H-1 cap unless they are working for a cap-exempt employer like a university or a hospital affiliated with a university, previously on H-1 status or a physician, very limited classes. All of them are already mentioned in various articles available on uh, Murthy.com and in the Murthy Bulletin. Aaron, can you just very briefly explain what exactly is the cap gap that is this huge benefit that has now been bestowed upon students thanks to the April 2008 DHS regulations? Absolutely. 
the cap gap is typically faced by F1 students that are transferring to the H1B status. It exists when there is a gap between the time the student's F1 status expires and the actual start date for the H1B status. Without cap gap relief, many students are faced with the prospect of either having to leave the United States between the end of their F1 status and the beginning of their H1B or finding a way to bridge the gap with an interim status by, for example, enrolling in a school or doing some other means so that they can stay until their H-1B would be able to start. Okay, that's helpful. So it's basically the gap from the end of the F1 to the start of the H-1B, and during that gap, they get some relief. So, Anna, what is this rule, and what are the provisions that are applicable to F1 students who are beneficiaries of a properly filed H-1B petition? Um, uh, The source of the cap gap extension uh, rule is in the interim final rule, which was published in the Federal Register on April 8, 2008. Before um, this interim rule, final rule uh, became uh, provided for the extension of the uh, F1 status, uh, we didn't have anything like that. So uh, that this rule benefited many, many students. Okay. Okay. And... Um, F1 students who are beneficiaries of properly filed H-1B petitions uh, benefit from the cap gap extension provision as uh, you already defined it. And um, they usually, um, before the enactment of the rule, they uh, were not able to remain in status until the H-1B start work date uh, because essentially all H-1B petitions subject to the annual numerical cap uh, were filed and are still filed on April 1st, uh, requesting October 1st start date uh, due to the limitations on the number of petitions accepted in any given year. And uh, this is commonly referred as the cap gap. In addition to providing for STEM extensions, which uh, we are going to touch upon uh, a little bit later in today's discussion, and establishing a maximum period of unemployment, which we will also discuss Um, somewhat, the new rule contains provisions automatically extending the F1 status and, in some cases, employment authorization for students on OPT until the beginning of the H&B fiscal year, which is, again, October 1st of each year. Okay. So, basically, we're talking about the gap from April 1 to October 1, that gap, which is the cap gap, though it could be extended for even longer times if it is based on the STEM extensions, which we will be describing in a few minutes uh, down in a few minutes from now. Okay, so coming back to you, Aaron, must the student be authorized for the optional practical training in order to benefit from this cap gap provision? Because this is a fairly commonly asked question. You know, it's a very good question. And the truth is no. The cap gap extension provides for an extension of of F1 status regardless of whether the student is in a period of OPT or not. If the student has not been authorized for OPT, The extension of status will start on the day after the student's initial grace period expires. However, most commonly, you do see cap-gap extensions uh, with students that are in their OPT period. Okay, thank you, Aaron. Um, Anna, exactly what do the cap-gap provisions provide? Because I think that's very, very helpful in understanding, you know, the system of how it works. Um, There are several uh, points that uh, everyone who is affected by this uh, regulation, by this rule, rather, uh, would have to know about. 
status and work authorization automatically uh, is automatically extended for F1 students who, well, number one, timely filed an H1B case with a request for change of status, and this is again something we'll talk about a little bit later. Second, indicates an October 1st start date of employment, which is the beginning of the fiscal year. Uh, third, uh, status and work authorization for students on OPT is going to be automatically uh, continued until October 1st or until the H-1B cap case is rejected, included not being picked up in the lottery, um, or denied or revoked, whichever is earlier. And number four, in order to be eligible, F1 students must have um, not otherwise violated their status. And um, a lot of students may have violated their status by engaging in unauthorized employment. This is also important to remember. And uh, finally, number five, uh, it automatically extends the F2 status of dependents. That's extremely interesting because most people wonder if they need to file an application, a petition, something with USCIS. And the way the regulations are written from April 2008, it's automatic. Nothing needs to be done. And these are the automatic cap cap provisions, a huge, huge benefit, which was a huge problem for F1 students till the DHS introduced this. Aaron, let's jump to you now. You, you know, we have pointed out that the H1B petition must request a change of status in order to be eligible for the cap cap extension. Anna just mentioned that as her first point. What exactly is the difference between filing a change of status and consular notification. And even though this may sound like a fairly simple question, it is one of the most commonly asked questions by, a, by many of our, too many of our attorneys in consultations. And it's something that can make a huge difference as you can see whether the person will get the cap gap extension or not. Well, Sue, uh, a change of status is generally if you're able to switch from one status such as F1 to H1B seamlessly without having to leave the United States and pick up a visa at the consulate. Generally, people who are in status can change status, and people who are in status and will not have a gap between the time that they're requesting the change of status um, are eligible to request a change of status. You know that you've requested a change of status and you received it, when you receive an I-94 card attached to the approval, which indicates that you have permission to remain into the, in the United States during the duration indicated on the I-94. Consular processing is when you're requesting that the designation of H-1 be approved through the petition, but you're saying that I don't want to receive a status or permission to remain in the U.S. seamlessly through this petition, but rather I'm going to ask that the consulate be notified and that I go to the consulate in my area to be able to request and pick up a visa to then be able to come into the United States in that lawful H-1 status. Okay, and just a quick point of clarification. It's actually consular notification, not consular processing. When the term consular processing is used, it's usually used in the immigrant context, adjustment of status versus consular processing, but people use that term frequently interchangeably as we use with visa and status, even though technically a visa is only granted abroad and not status. So just to clarify, if you check off that box on the I-129 form saying consular notification, case is sent to the consulate in your home country, and then you cannot enjoy this incredible benefit of the cap-gap extension that Anna and Aaron just explained. 
Anna, can you clarify what if events affect the maximum period of the cap gap extension? This is a very good question, Sheila, and a lot of people just assume that if they are able to benefit from the cap gap extension at all, that will continue through the first day of employment or through uh, at least September 30th, um, the same uh, fiscal year for which, they, uh, uh, for which their employer is filing the petition. However, it's not always the case, and I've actually looked to see if we have any new guidance um, for this year, but all I was able to find, which is um, uh, available to uh, foreign student advisors and to schools, and they're aware of that, and um, the, that's, that's the guidance uh, that was issued by the International Student and Exchange Visitor Program, or SEVP. Uh, which is also part of the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforce Enforcement, ICE, uh, which is the agency in charge of the student tracking program. They provided a very detailed guidance on specific dates of termination of F1 status conditioned upon specific events. So what are these events? Um, last year, uh, the uh, SVP guidance provided uh, that students, if the petition is properly filed, uh, students' OPT period was extended until at least the end of the receiving period. And last year, that happened to be June 2nd, 2008. So I would recommend, um, if you are in this uh, situation, uh, you would need to look to see when the USCIS will finish receiving all of the petitions uh, for um, the coming fiscal year. And this is uh, basically what I think we could predict um, when your status will expire. Uh, and that's the minimum um, <clears throat> that your status will be extended uh, to. If the petition was not selected for receiving, then the student status would terminate on the last date of receiving unless the student had remaining time uh, in his or her OPT card. So that's also important to remember. If, however, the petition was selected, and you know that the petition was selected in the lottery, then the status would be extended until September 30th, 2008. That was last year. So this year, uh, I think we can uh, also say that it's safe to assume that it will, in this kind of scenario, it will also be extended until September 30th, 2009. But if the petition is withdrawn by the employer, or denied, uh, the OPT authorization end, uh, would end 10 days after the date of the withdrawal or denial, and the student would have 60 days, which is regular time of uh, grace period, after the date of the actual withdrawal or denial. Aha, uh -huh, but we're not even 100% sure because there is no guidance and it's kind of in this gray area that we're arguing because it's possible USCIS could take the position that it expired on the date that the F1 status may have previously expired or by filing the H1 it somehow got terminated earlier. There's a lot of sort of gray areas here and we are trying to give you the most educated guess because remember these regulations were passed little less than a year ago, about eight months ago and as usual once they've issued the regulations and some clarification there's not been any major explanation and we don't even have the benefit of years and years of cases that are being approved, like the way we have with the AC21 related issues. Um, so this is something that we are kind of trying to guess, and there's some level of educated guesswork here that we are trying to argue on behalf, but clearly the law itself does not spell out every one of these subtle nuances that we're going through. Some of these issues are spelled out clearly, 
but some of these issues are issues that we're going over and Anna with her experience as an international student advisor is also sharing her, imparting her wonderful insights with us. Thank you, Sheila. Exactly what you said. Uh, we don't have much experience with this new rule at all. So, Like everybody in the world. I don't want to say we have any less or more than anybody else. It's just the time frame. Yeah, and because we don't have much experience, we can only um, use the guidance from last year, which was the first and the most current guidance still. And we can just um, see if uh, SEVP will issue new guidance and will probably publish something on mercy.com um, about Of course, as, any, as always, the minute anything is in, any information is released, uh, we automatically share that information with you all uh, on the murthy.com in our Murthy bulletins that we send out. And if anything is an urgent or rush matter, it's always a news flash. And I know uh, Anna mentioned SEVP a couple times, but it is the International Student and Exchange Visitor Program. And I think she may have briefly touched upon that. But um, again, uh, they, that is the agency that works directly with the ICE, with U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. And by the way, ICE is the main agency from the Department of Homeland Security that is assigned the task of dealing with F1 student-related issues. Unlike for 99% of services dealing with immigration, we deal with USCIS, as most of you know, and then with the um, CBP when you travel abroad and come enter the United States, but ICE's both for enforcement, deportation, removal, and for student-related issues. Uh, Aaron, let's jump to you back again. So how will the students and the employer know that they have a cap-gap extension and they have that protection? Do they have to request it? Is it automatic in the H-1B petition? How does that work? Well, you know, it's funny because the notification is basically of if it goes through, you're in there type of situation. So basically, you have to look for some milestones that help you make sure that you're covered under the cap gap. To begin with, your employer should have it timely filed um, so that it gets the, that the H-1 petition is timely filed so that there's no gap before it's filed in the first place. Um, once it's filed, only the petitioner will know, only your employer will know, or only the employer will know that it's actually been timely filed with a requested start date of October 1 until the receipt is actually issued. Once a receipt notice is issued, it's supposed to be a system that automatically updates in the SEVA system, allowing them to know that you requested the change of status with the October 1 start date, timely filed, and then the cap gap is automatically supposed to, I'll use the term, vest. However, sometimes it doesn't automatically happen. It just doesn't happen the way that it's supposed to. So it is recommended that you follow up with the DSO, you follow up with the school official. Um, I don't want to say as often as possible, but certainly as often as is necessary to be able to confirm that the update is showing in the system. Another reason for following up is because if the petition is withdrawn or if it's denied or if something else happens, there is no direct notification that tells the, the student or tells the employee. So for you to be able to understand that you still have that kind of protection, you really should follow up and make sure everything is in a good place. Okay, okay. And Anna, uh, should the student obtain a new I-20 form from the school in order to reflect the fact that the student who has now applied for the H-1B is in a period of cap-gap extension? Again, this is something, Sheila, we um, 
don't have much experience with, but based on uh, again, when we say we don't have experience, I don't like that term. Oh Basically, well, this we is not us. Who, <laughs> meaning the who whole don't have country, experience. the world, nobody has experience because it simply hasn't been around long enough. It's it's to really very get new. Basically, what I, I um, meant to say is that uh, the rule is so new that. It's impossible to have much experience with it. I'm glad we clarified that. <laughs> <laughs> Took three attorneys. <laughs> and uh, I said that because, uh, again, along the lines of um, what Aaron just said, uh, students should check with their DSOs. DSOs are uh, pr practicing this or work in this area, so they have the most current information, or they're supposed to have the most current information um, that will that will uh, be um, c correct for this year's filing. But what we know is that upon the filing of the petition, the student must send a request to his or her foreign student advisor for the extension uh, with proof of proper filing. And again, you would have to, the students would have to check with their employers to obtain that information. Uh, and if the petition is selected for receiving, then the student may request that his um, or her DSO prints an updated form I-20 to reflect that extension so that this is all done to make sure that the extension is properly recorded um, in the CVS record. It's very interesting that one, the first one is a mandatory must and the second one is an optional may with respect to if the petition is selected for receiving, but actually from the student's point of view or the H-1B, uh, prospective H-1B employee point of view, there's a benefit in notifying the person if the petition has been selected for receiving, but if it's not been selected for receiving, presumably the um, student is better off not saying a word because the CVIS system may not again get revised and corrected, so it's very interesting that they're saying the may and the must, but again, a very important, a subtle, it may sound like a subtle point, but it can be very useful for both the employer and the employee to understand uh, how to protect and ensure that the individual is maintaining valid status because it protects both the employer from the I-9 with its I-9 obligations and the employee who needs to maintain status in the United States for future extensions or changes of status and down the road when applying for the green card as well. So basically, if the H-1B petition is not selected in the lottery, um, in the random H-1B lottery system, or it is denied before October 1st, uh, the students have some options uh, in order to try to continue the employment. Because remember, if that happens, the minute the H-1 petition is denied, your cap gap relief and authorization to live and work legally in the United States stops at that point on the date of the denial. Um, and we were trying to guess that maybe you have the 10 extra days or all of those benefits. So the student should possibly consider if the student is able to qualify for the STEM extension. As most of you know, the STEM stands for the Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. So the STEM extension is a 17-month, it's an additional 17 months of optional practical training extension, which could now result in a total of 12 months plus 17 months which is 29 months total, plus additional extensions thereafter for the cap gap extension, if the following conditions are all satisfied by both the F1 OPT student and the H1B petitioning employer. And the conditions that must be satisfied are five conditions. And these conditions are one, 
the student has not previously received the 17-month OPT extension after earning a STEM degree. Second, the student's current OPT is based on a STEM-designated degree. And by the way, the list of those degrees are available on the USCIS website and I believe also linked on murthy.com. Third, the employer is registered in the E-Verify program and we have specifically addressed this issue about E-Verify and actually had a separate teleconference exclusively devoted to the E-Verify program with the Department of Labor representative from Washington, D.C. participating in our teleconference. Four, the employer must also agree to report the termination of the OPT employment to the DSO and the contact information is on the I-20 itself within 48 hours of the termination if the termination takes place before the end of the authorized period of optional practical training. Keep in mind that the termination occurs when the employer knows that the employee has either left the employment or if the student does not report to work for five consecutive business days, whichever is earlier. So if the student has resigned, you need to notify right away or doesn't call, doesn't show up for five consecutive days, then it's automatically the responsibility of the employer to report the termination to the DSO. And finally, the fifth point is the student must report to the DSO within 10 days of any changes in the name, in the employment, in the personal or mailing address, termination or change in employer, and check with the DSO every six months. You have to check in from the date of the extension, from the date that the extension, the 17-month STEM extension begins, to verify that all of the information the school has on file continues to remain valid and correct. So that was quite a, a detailed understanding of how the system works. Um, Aaron, let me jump back to you and to ask, how does this new limit on the unemployment, because we've heard of all these you know, two-month, three-month timeframes, uh, three months, whatever, and six months or longer. Can you explain what these are and how they apply and how it affects the students who may benefit from CapGap? Sure. Well, basically, the same rules are still there. Um, if an F1 student whose status was automatically extended during the CapGap period, um, they would be subject to the same limitations on unemployment, which is 90 days during the regular 12-month 12, 12 post-completion um, OPT and an additional 30 days during the unemployment time for students that are on the science, technology, engineering, or math um, OPT extension time. So, the, um, so if, you, if you would look at it, um, the, so therefore students who, who would benefit from CapGap provisions must really make sure that their total unemployment doesn't exceed that 90 days if they've been authorized for the 12-month OPT only, and it doesn't exceed the additional 30 days uh, in addition to the 90 days if they're in a period of the STEM extension until the start of the H-1B. Wow, that's a pretty tight time frame because a lot of students take two or three months to find the appropriate job, especially in this sort of weak economy. If it takes a little bit longer and if a company is interested but not sure that they have the project right away, the maximum time is this three months and an additional 30 months. That's like like three months or four months, even with the 29 months. That's a really, really tight time frame. So, Anna, can a student who is a beneficiary of an H-1 petition that has been filed with the change of status properly, with the change of status within the United States, benefit from this automatic extension as long as the petition is filed during the green card period? 
after completion, the, during, sorry, the grace period, after completion of the F, uh, OP, F1 OPT employment authorization? And if the answer is yes, would, would that student then be able to continue the employment or will it extend the grace period until the October 1st employment start date? Uh, you just answered your own question, Sheila. Yes, uh, yes, of course. There, there would be an automatic extension of F F1 status uh, in this case, namely when the student, um, the student's prospective employer files an H-1B petition during the grace period. But remember, grace period doesn't give you the right to continue employment. So you have to be authorized for employment to benefit from the provision that specifies that you can continue um, engaging in employment during the gap, cap gap extension period. So if you are in your grace period, you are not able to work, you're not authorized to work, you, even though you will continue in F1 status, you will not be able to continue employment. So there wouldn't be any extension of work authorization. And that's very similar to another situation when a student who is not authorized for OPT uh, benefits from the automatic extension. Uh, they wouldn't be able to be employed during the extension period, just like students who, whose uh, petitions were filed during the grace period after the OPT. Right, so you're saying after the, when they're in the grace period, they can't work based on the grace period, but now with the cap-gap extension, everybody is allowed to keep working even if they're in the grace period because the petition was filed, was properly filed as you had explained earlier. You have to have OPT work authorization at the time of filing. If you don't have that because you are um, in your grace period, then the uh, uh, extension uh, will apply to your F1 status, but not to your work authorization. Aha, that's very interesting. Okay, and Aaron, when a STEM student benefits from the automatic extension in the above scenario, but the petition itself is denied, will the person be able to continue to use the provision allowing for the 17-month extension, provided that all of the other eligibility criteria are satisfied? You know, there's no real rule or regulation that, that, that really addresses this. Arguably, you could say yes, that the 17-month OPT extension rule, um, which states that it must be filed prior to the expiration date of the student's current OPT authorization. So you can say that as long as they filed, the person was an F1 OPT for the 12-month post-completion um, OPT, and then they went ahead and they filed for the 17-month extension while they were in the OPT period, um, you could say that they would be able to continue with that 17 months. But to determine if whether the cap-gap period that allows for that OPT would also be permissive for the 17 months, we just have to go ahead and file it and see what happens uh, when we get to that situation. Aha, uh -huh. so another one of those wonderful gray areas for which we don't for which nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, okay, and once the H-1B petition is approved with a change of status, the issue that's often asked is whether the student can remain in the F-1 OPD status and use the remaining time um, available under the optional practical training, and the answer really is no, because once the H-1B petition itself has been approved with the change of status effective, from a certain date, say in this case October 1, in most cases of most students, the beneficiary then must begin the H-1B employment 
from the date of the petition validity, which would then be October the 1st from the date that it's either becomes effective or effective from that date approval, not if it's approved in April or May with an October 1 starting date because then the F1 status continues during that time. And the remaining time available, say in OPT in this example from October, say till February of the following year, cannot be reclaimed down the road. Of course, if the H1 petition is either not accepted in the lottery or denied, then presumably the earlier F1 status will continue to remain valid. Aaron, you're dying to say something. I can see that look on your face. Well, Sheila, I just have a question for you. We've spent so much time focusing on cap gap, cap gap, and saying how the OPT is automatically extended. And we spoke about the 17-month extension for the STEM degree. I'm wondering, what do you think if a person says, I don't need cap gap, I'm covered, so the gap is not going to make a difference for me. So rather than filing for a change of status like we spoke about in the beginning, I'm going to file for for consular notification. And by doing so, they won't get a change of status for their H-1 starting October 1. Therefore, would they be able to then be considered counted against the cap, use their 17-month for STEM or their full 12 months for post-completion, and then be able to then turn around and get into the H-1B so they can have an additional six years? I thought that we couldn't do that. I thought we had to. I'm not sure. Anna, what's your feel on that? So let me make sure I understand your question, Aaron. Uh, you are saying that a student who um, whose employer would file an H-1B petition um, with consulate notification, uh, and a student who does not need uh, the cap gap extension. Okay, so they uh, their status is not changing they can potentially apply for the 17 months uh, extension on their LPT, and they can uh, continue to benefit um, from uh, employment authorization pursuant to the LPT authorization. Now, at the end of that OPT, would they then be able to say, but I applied for the cap, I, won the, I applied for the H-1B cap, wahoo, I won the lottery, I've been counted against the cap, so now I can just transfer at the end of my 17-month OPT STEM or the end of my 12 months, now I can just transfer naturally back into H-1B? Or yeah, but again, you're going to be subject to the random lottery, so if you don't get selected two years in a row, you're pretty much out of luck. But if I was already selected, my employer, if I was already selected in the lottery, I just did it for consular notification. So I got the H-1 petition approval. But the whole issue then comes back to whether you're even counted because there's a whole big debate about this and we don't want to get into those kinds of really, really convoluted, complex nuances because it's sort of beyond the scope of a 30 or 45 minute employer-employee <laughs> debate. Because honestly speaking, there's been discussions with senior USCIS officials on whether in a case where a H-1B petition is approved with only consular notification without a change of status and until the H-1B visa itself has been issued, whether that person truly has been counted against the H-1B quota or not. And there's this whole gray area, and I don't know that we want to get into that whole esoteric area because it does add layers of complications and confusion, and I'd rather just apply for the change of status or send the person abroad to pick up the visa at the appropriate time rather than take this huge risk that they were somehow not counted against the quota uh, and therefore uh, liable uh, to be with, left without any benefits because they thought they were so darn smart uh, to not take advantage of the cap-gap extension and take advantage of whatever rules were available in that clearly gray uh, area that we're talking about. Um, well, I know that we're kind of running short on time, and I want to make sure that 
Um, and you can see with us lawyers, we love playing with this <laughs> and we love stretching the rules and, and playing games and playing uh, with ideas and issues and concepts that are a little bit complex and have a lot of nuances to see how we can help both individuals and employers to get the maximum benefit of existing laws and regulations and when there are no laws or regulations under the existing guidance. Um, but a lot of the issues we've discussed today, you should be able to get the information from the free Murthy uh, bulletin, weekly Murthy bulletins, our free uh, bi-weekly Murthy chats, the free Murthy forum that that's available on murthy.com and lots of free and updated information that we constantly post on the world's number one immigration law website, murthy.com. In conclusion, you know, we would strongly recommend whether you're an employer or an individual to go ahead and start processing the H-1B paperwork at the first opportunity. Uh, although the economy is bad and things aren't as good and people are debating whether the cap, uh, whether the quota is going to be met early on the first day, like in our last two or three years or not, uh, why take that chance and that risk to find out uh, play safe if you have the, a job, if you have, uh, if, the, if you as an employer have the candidate, let's go ahead and file it to reach the USCIS right on April 1st if possible to ensure that there's a better chance of getting the H-1 petition accepted and hopefully approved. Uh, again, on behalf of each of us at the Murthy Law Firm, myself and my incredible staff, my two fantastic co-panelists for this afternoon, it would be an honor and a pleasure for us to process H-1B petitions, uh, whether you're an employer or an employee, and uh, continue to help uh, all parties concerned and guide you all through the complex and ever-changing U.S. immigration law process. It was wonderful to have you all. Have a terrific rest of the day, and we'll be in touch. Bye.